Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Refactoring the Ruby edition, and last week we finished off chapter two. So looking ahead at the book, chapter three is a series of paragraphs that explains code smells and what their refactoring recipe is. And chapter four is all about building up a test suite. And so we looked at these chapters and think that they're definitely worth reading in your own time, but we didn't think that they generate a fruitful discussion on the podcast. And chapter five is a couple of pages that explains the format of the following chapters in the book. And so today we're jumping to chapter six called Composing Methods. And we're going to be discussing the extract method, inline method, and inline temp refactorings. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So what did you think of the reading this week? It was good to get back to some code and to look at some clear examples. For some reason, I found bits of it hard to follow. So I found jumping between different code samples, I felt I had to go back a couple of times just to check exactly what had happened. And I also found some of the language a bit hard. I think there was a lot of terminology and I had to keep pausing and go, okay, that means that, that means that, and just piece it all together again. So it wasn't it wasn't the smoothest reading, but it was good to, to get back to looking at code examples. Yeah, I felt like it was the opposite of last week's reading, where last week it was a lot of explaining in different ways, looking at different perspectives, and it's very abstract. And this was very concrete. You know, it was first I do this, and then I try this, and then I look at this other thing. And when that doesn't work, I do this. But it was very, very fast-paced was the biggest difference that I saw. Uh, I felt like we were back at the initial example with the movie store, uh, with the movie rental store, where it was, you know, I'm going to pick up this tool, then I'm going to put this down, and then I'm going to try this. And the pace of it, I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. I was I was worried that I was going to miss something really important. Yes. So shall we crack on with the book? Let's do it. So we start with chapter six, composing methods. And we have an introductory couple of paragraphs, which sort of give you a whirlwind tour of all the different refactoring recipes you may want to use and when. And so we start with the point that a large part of the refactoring that the authors do is all about composing methods to package code properly. And one of the main issues that we have are long methods that are troublesome and contain a lot of information. And so that introduces us to extract method. And then we talk about how inline method is essentially the opposite. And there are times when you've done multiple extractions, you realize that now you've got methods that on their own, they don't have much substance. And so you need to reverse <laughs> your extract method. And so the rest of that section sort of goes through different cases as to when you might use things like replace temp with query and split temporary variable. And I found myself, you know, I had to go through it pretty slowly just to understand all the different cases and to check that I understood why you would use those different refactorings. But it was it was cool in, in the sense of sort of showing, look at all the tools at your disposal that we're going to explore. Yes. And it felt like almost like a word salad mm. of tools at a point. And there's a point, I think it was about halfway through when I kind of realized that the rest of the section was going to be a lot of, here's some other things that I can use and I'm not really going to explain it where I said, okay, 
hopefully you'll explain it later. And until then, I'm okay just not knowing exactly what you're talking about. Yes, I definitely thought that too. So I started very like in-depth and taking my time. And then I realized, ah, the purpose of this is just to give you this quick intro and to give you a flavor for what's coming. Yeah, and that's a good point too, because I was thinking, you know, why would they do that? Why would they start off our composing methods chapter with just this huge word salad of different tools. And I think you're right. I think it's to show, because at first I was a little intimidated by it. I thought like, holy crap, there's there's a lot going on. This this is a little scary. But then I thought, wait a minute, this just means that I have all of these options. You know, mm-hmm. it's not this clear cut one, two, three, everyone needs to do it exactly the same way. It's here is a buffet. Here's a whole menu of tools and options at your disposal. And as long as you understand what each one does, you have a lot of choice and a lot of freedom in how you solve different problems. So once I thought about it, I said, huh, this is actually really cool. And so we go to look at our first refactoring method in depth, and it's our favorite one, extract method. I think the format of this is we're going to have like a one sentence explanation of what it is, and then or a couple of sentences that explain exactly what's going on, how you do it, then a code example then a couple more paragraphs on the motivation behind doing this and then the mechanism. So what is the step-by-step to get there? So very confident, Ruby. So here with extract method, we start with, you've got a code fragment that can be grouped together. So you turn that fragment into a method with a name that explains the purpose of the method. So we have a method here called print owing with an argument called amount. And inside that method, it says print banner. So that's another method. And then a line that says puts and then a string name interpolating in um, the name instance variable. And then a second line that says puts amount. And then we interpolate in a variable called amount, which is the argument that we've passed into the method. And then that's transformed into two methods. So we've got the print owing method again with amount as an argument, and it's got the print banner call. And this time, those two puts lines have now been morphed into one line called print details. And that takes an argument amount. And then we have the definition of print details with amount as an argument. And it's got those two puts lines, so puts name and puts amount that we had in the original print owing method. Yes. And when we go into the motivation of why we're doing this, uh, we talk about a couple reasons. One is the general belief that well-named methods are better. Short, well-named methods are really nice. One, because when we have these short, well-named methods, it means that other methods are much more likely to use them instead of writing their own version. So that's really good. And the second reason, which I didn't really, I've never heard it before, which is really interesting, says that when we have these higher level methods, it ends up reading like a series of comments, which I thought was really interesting because we talk about how comments are not a good thing. Like usually they mean that you didn't write your code well enough that, you know, you can't understand what it means. You kind of have to rely on the comments. So that can be a potential issue. But here it says that if we have these well-named and well-contained methods, then when we read through the methods that call the other well-contained methods, then it just reads like a series of comments, and that's actually a good thing. Yeah, and that's one of the cool things about Ruby is how expressive you can get it to be. So you can almost put something in front of someone who doesn't know anything about coding or about Ruby, and they can go, okay, print owing. First I print the banner, then I print the details with the amount. And they can say, oh, I get what that code is doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we talked about this a little bit more. And one question that people ask is, well, how long should a method be? 
and you know what what is the what are best practices what are some good rules around that and here we talk about how the length really isn't the issue what's more interesting and what we should pay attention to is the semantic distance between the method name and the method body and i wasn't sure exactly what that meant but i think what it means is is the name expressive enough to describe what the body uh, contains in a way that's helpful to developers? And so along with that, it says that even if the name is longer than the code you've actually extracted, that's okay. Yes, the important thing is that that name, like you said, expresses the intent. And I think you're right in terms of the semantic distances. If I'm reading the body of the method, do I go back to the name and go, huh, that doesn't seem to flow? Or almost by reading the Mm -hmm. name, I can guess at what the body of the method is going to do. Yes. So next we talk about the mechanics of doing this. And I think a lot of these steps might feel a little obvious, but step one is to create the new method and name the method appropriately. And it actually has a really interesting point here where it says that if you can't come up with a more meaningful name, don't extract the code. I thought that was really, really interesting. And it was a a theme or just a concept that came up during this Annie Metz workshop as well, where she would say, and and, and in the 99 Bottles book as well, where she wrote, or um, Sandy Katrina wrote that if we can't name it, if we have a really, really hard time naming it, then maybe it means that we don't fully understand it quite yet. And maybe we either need to pick a very generic name because we do have a concept, Mm -hmm. or maybe it means that we don't have a concrete concept yet and we need to pause it and come back to that refactoring. Yeah, and I think that there's actually two sides to that. So there's the one side, which is, you know, particularly coming from the discussion with Sandy and Katrina around you know, we sense that there are these big abstractions, but if we can't name it, then we're probably doing it too early and we should wait and it'll become clearer. But also in this book, they touch on this idea that if something's very simple, then it's probably not a useful extraction at any point or any time. So don't bother. Mm. So I like when, you know, there's almost Mm -hmm. two ends of the scale there. And number two says that we're going to copy the extracted code and put it into that new method that we wrote. Step three is that we're going to look at that extracted code for any variables that might be local. And that's something that we talk about in a different method uh, more in depth about how to deal with these local variables and parameters in the method. And then step four is we evaluate these temporary variables and we decide how to tackle them. And one way is that if they're only used in the extracted code, then we can declare them as temporary variables in our new method that we created. And then in step five, we see if there are any of those local scope variables that are actually changed by the extracted code. And if there are, then we might need to treat it as a query and assign the results so that we can bring it back to that original method and do stuff with it. And this can be a little bit awkward, uh, but we talk a little bit more in depth about how to deal with it with the replace temp with query recipe. And step six says that if there are any local scope variables that need to be passed in, that we should pass that into that new method that we created. Step seven says that we are now going to call this new method that we created, and we're going to call it in the place where we had that extracted code in the original method. And then step eight is that we're going to test and make sure that everything works. So now we go into a few more examples of extract method. And I think the key focus here is looking at this discussion around temporary variables and local scope variables and how we handle them. So we start with a really easy case, which is where we have no local variables. We've got another version of the print owning method. And this time we start with a variable called outstanding and it's initialized with the value 0.0. And then we have a comment which says print banner and we've got three puts lines. So the first line puts a load of asterisks. 
Then we have another line that has more asterisks, but also customer O's in the middle. And then we also have another line called with more asterisks. <laughs> Am I saying that right? Asterisks? I think so. That's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds funny. Yeah. And then we have a comment which says calculate outstanding. And so we have an instance variable called orders and we say orders each do order. And then we increment outstanding by order dot amount. And then we have a comment which says print details. We put the name and then we print out the, the name instance variable. And then we put the word amount and we interpolate in outstanding. So what we can do is to extract out the code that prints the banner. So we've got the same method again further down called print owing. But this time where we had all those asterisks, those three lines, we now have a method call to something called print banner. And if you look inside print banner, it's got those three lines where it prints all the asterisks, including the line that says customer owes. Mm -hmm. So that's a very simple case. But what do we do when we have local variables? So now we want to extract out printing the details. So as you saw before, the outstanding variable is instantiated in the first line of the print owing method. And then, you know, outstanding is modified each time for each order before it's printed out at the end. And so we go to the section of the method called print details, where it says puts name and puts amount outstanding. And we replace that with a method called print details with the argument outstanding. And we define a method called print details and outstanding is the argument. And it says puts name with a name instance variable and puts amount with outstanding. So again, this is a very easy case, even though we have a local variable here, which is referred to in the wider method of print owing, we simply pass it as an argument and we can copy and paste the rest of the code. And that works fine. Yeah, and when I first saw that the example, the first one I said, well, that's way too easy. It has to be more complicated than that. And we're slowly building on that complexity. So for the next part, we're going to look at the section, the fragment of the method that is actually calculating the outstanding. So that's the part that goes orders.each do and then outstanding plus equals order.amount. And so we want to abstract that and put that into its own method called calculate outstanding. And when we do that, one thing we have to appreciate is the fact that the way that it is now, outstanding is a local variable in the print owing, and we actually need that variable later on for the print details section. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that the method that we extract actually returns that final value so that we can keep using it in that original method. So in our extracted def calculate underscore outstanding, we have outstanding equals 0.0. .0 at orders.each do order, outstanding plus equal order.amount end, which so far is basically the same thing as we had before. But now we are going to end the entire method by returning the value for outstanding. So now that we have that def calculate outstanding method that returns the value of outstanding, we're going to go back to our def print owing method, which is where we're calling that calculate outstanding. And we're going to set the value of that to the outstanding local variable so that we can pass that in as an argument to our print details method. And so then, you know, we're looking at this calculate outstanding method and it's one, two, three, four, five lines long. And so using collection closure method on array, we can make it one line. And what we do is we say at orders.inject and then we pass in as an argument 0.0, .0 so that's the starting value. And then we pass 
the, that method a block with the arguments result and order, and then the body says result plus order dot amount. So that's an inject method that we have that's adding on each order amount to an initial value of zero. So calculate outstanding goes from five lines to one. Very nice. So in this example, we are starting that initial value at just zero, which is why we're doing the dot inject zero dot zero. But sometimes we might have a previous amount that we are passing in. So again, adding another layer of complexity to this recipe. So here, what we want to do is we might start with the method print owing that takes in previous amount. And so when we want to calculate outstanding, we want to make sure that that method is also able to take in that argument so we can take in outstanding. So then when we get to the def calculate outstanding, we will have that method take an initial value and pass that in as a parameter to our dot inject. Yes. And once we've checked that we've done that extraction properly, we can go back to the print owing method and do a further improvement, which is um, saying outstanding is equal to calculate outstanding and rather than passing in outstanding we can just inline previous amount multiplied by 1.2 so then the authors ask well what happens if we have more than one variable that needs to be returned and we don't really answer this question <laughs> very much in this we don't go into what that looks like but uh, the authors do say that when this happens we try to find a way to make multiple extractions with each extraction only returning one value and then they also mentioned that they try to use things like replace temp with query uh, and replace method with method object when things get a little complex, which I'm assuming we will dig into once we look at those recipes. And so we move on to our second recipe of the day, and that's inline method. And we actually had a taste of this just before in that last example of extract method. And so this is when a method's body is pretty much the same as its name. So I think this touches on that semantic distance thing that we talked about earlier. And when that's the case, then you can put the method's body into the body of its callers and remove the method. So the example that we have here is we have a method called get rating. So there's a ternary operator, your favorite, Saron. Mm -hmm. And it says more than five late deliveries, question mark, two, otherwise one. And more than five late deliveries is a method, which is defined later on. And that reads the instance variable called number of late deliveries greater than five. So basically it says number of late deliveries is greater than five. And another way of saying that is more than five late deliveries. Right. <laughs> yes. And so what we can do is we can go back to get rating and we just change it to the instance variable number of late deliveries greater than five, question mark, two, otherwise one. So we just get rid of that more than five late deliveries method. Yes. And I think the reason why you want to do this is because that is essentially unnecessary indirection. So we always want to make sure that we've got our short method names to show intention. But in that case, so for example, when I was reading the first version of get rating, I had to go more than five late deliveries. Okay, let me go look at that method. Ah, it's exactly the same. So it was almost, I think, wasted cognitive load on just sort of trying to trace that method. And so you can just simplify things by getting rid of cases where the body of the method is essentially saying what the name of the method does. So next we go into the mechanics of this, and there are a couple things we want to do. So the first one is before we do anything, we want to check and make sure that the method is not polymorphic, which I 
totally didn't even think about until I read this part. Because if we have uh, subclasses that are overriding this method, they can't override something that doesn't exist, which is a fair point. <laughs> we want to make sure that we're not messing with the way other objects and other classes might be taking advantage of that method. So that's step one. Step two is to find all calls to the method. Step three is to replace each of those calls with the method body. Then step four is to test and then to remove the method definition. So I think it's a pretty straightforward way of doing it. Yes, and then the authors say that, yes, it seems simple, but in general, it isn't. And that you could end up coming into all sorts of headaches like how to handle recursion, multiple return points, inlining into another object when you don't have excesses, etc., etc. But they say that they don't go into that into those uh, topics because if you are encountering these complexities then you shouldn't do this refactoring so in, at the end of the day it does remain simple then mm -hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> so our next recipe is inline temp so here we have a temp that is assigned to once and has a very simple expression and we want to get rid of it because it is making our refactoring a lot harder so what we want to do is we want to replace all the references to this temp with the actual expression and so an example of this is we have base price equals n order dot base price. And then we have return and then taking in base price is greater than 1000. And so as we can see, we could just replace that inline temporary variable with an order dot base price because it's not really that different. It's not that much more helpful. And so then we would end up with just one line that says return and order dot base price is greater than a thousand. Right, and so it says here that most of the time we're gonna be doing that because we're doing replace temp with query, which is something that we've briefly discussed before and we'll probably go into more detail later on. And the only time where you'll ever do this, this sort of refactoring on its own is when you have a temp that's assigned to the value of a method call. So basically you might as well just do the method call. And so we have the mechanics of it, which are pretty straightforward. Step one, find all the references to the temp and replace them with the right-hand side of the assignment. Step two, test after each change. Step three, remove the declaration and the assignment of the temp. And then step four, test once more. Great. So this reading had a very specific structure to it that's very similar to Confident Ruby and very different from 99 Bottles. It had a definition of the method at the beginning, an example, a motivation piece, and the mechanics. So we want to know, how did you feel about this structure? Do you prefer this over the more story-like presentation of 99 Bottles? Tweet us your responses at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!